you'd remain standing, please, for our scripture reading, which comes this morning from the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 7 through 15. This is Jesus speaking after the feeding of the 5,000 in John's Gospel. I'm on the wrong. Correction. I was about to read John 6. So this is not the feeding of the 5,000. That's why it didn't make sense. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> I assure you that it is better for you that I go away. If I don't go away, the companion won't come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will show the world it was wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. He will show the world it was wrong about sin because they don't believe in me. He will show the world it was wrong about righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you won't see me anymore. He will show the world it was wrong about judgment because this world's ruler stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, but you can't handle it now. However, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. He won't speak on his own, but he will say whatever he hears and will proclaim to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and proclaim it to you. Everything that the Father has is mine. That's why I said that the Spirit takes what is mine and will proclaim it to you. Soon you won't be able to see me. Soon after that, you will see me. Some of Jesus' disciples said to each other, What does he mean? Soon you won't see me, and soon after that, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. If you'd be seated, please. This morning we are going to be continuing our journey uh, through the Apostles' Creed and the 12 essential statements of faith that are larger truths, that are boiled down into these shorter and condensed statements that tell us of God, that tell us of Jesus. And as we begin with this morning's passage, they tell us about the Holy Spirit, where it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So these phrases are important as we're beginning to see. They're important because they help to define... Ways that God has chosen to interact with us, as well as the ways that each person in the Trinity chooses to interact with the other. In the 12 statements of the Apostles' Creed, we see a clear picture of what God and what we believe, of what we believe as Christians in the Trinity. And there's an illustration you'll see in just a minute. It's a triangle, and in the Trinity we see how God chooses to relate to us as Father, Son and Spirit. God's in the middle saying that all of, God is all of these things. And then it's saying Son is not Father, Father is not Spirit, Spirit is not Son. Basically to help us see and to remember that in our theological understanding of Christians, of what, of what it means to, to believe in the Trinity is we believe that God is one, but that God can interact or relate to us fully in three different ways. And in those three different ways, they don't supersede or, or take the place of each other. They're all independent which is why it's kind of confusing. All right, so without an understanding of the Trinity, really all of the ways that we read that God chooses to relate to us, uh, they fall apart, they become unconnected. And so in the creed, this is why they're helpful. Specifically, the Apostles' Creed, we state that God is one in three persons. We state that each person of the Trinity, it each has its own amount of lines. And we see how each person of the Trinity is, is fully equal and fully divine. And that none of these pieces exist without each other. Well, God does. 
but God is all three. But you can't just talk about God the Father without thinking about how He relates to us in terms of Jesus the Son or in terms of the Holy Spirit that we're talking about. Really what this means is that the, tri the Trinity is not some creation of a big G God who decides to relate to humanity in terms of a little g God. That may not make sense. It made sense in my mind. But it means that, that God has been person, one person, in three different ways to us, to humans, to Adam, to Eve, to Abraham, to Moses, to Isaiah, to Joel, to all of those, those names in the Old Testament that you can think of. That God has related to us in this way from the very beginning. And the Old Testament shows us that and lets us know that where we read how from the creation to humanity and to every person, we see how God has chosen to relate. And the Scripture gives us proof of that. You know, one of the easiest ones to read is Genesis chapter 1. So often we read the story of Genesis 1 and, and we think of it in terms of the creation. And it's very easy for us to, to skip over the very first two lines of Genesis 1, where we see a picture of the Trinity at work at the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the water. So we see from the very beginning that God is at work in the person of the Holy Spirit doing what? The Spirit of God is over the chaos waters. And then we continue to read where the voice of God speaks into the chaos and creates order and brings order and then begins to create everything else that you and I see and know. See, God was at work from the beginning. There's another scripture a little later in the Old Testament where it's from the prophet Joel. And there's a bunch. I mean, you can go and, and read plenty of scriptures that talk about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But this one, it says, where Joel says what the Holy Spirit is going to do. And this is almost like Joel is, is framing it for what the Holy Spirit is going to do in our lives following the, the sending of Jesus and then his resurrection and later his ascension. And so Joel says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So it's coming to you, to me. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and young men shall see visions. Even upon the men servants and maid servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So what is Joel saying? Joel is saying that God is promising to interact through and with us, not just with those that, that are um, in positions of importance or power, but what does Joel say? The Holy Spirit is even going to come to those who are the workers, to those that in those times, in, in biblical times, would have been considered the lowest of the low, right? Because it's part of God's plan to send the Trinity not just to a certain person or people, but it's God's plan to send the Holy Spirit to all of us. In the Gospel of Mark, here's an illustration of it. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, in James Earl Jones' best voice, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. So what do we see at the very beginning of, of Mark's Gospel? And Mark isn't the only Gospel that gives us this picture of, of God speaking and of this Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus at his baptism. But it shows us that from the very beginning, God was choosing not just to interact with us by, by sending Jesus the Son, but that the Holy Spirit was also sent as well, right? And so as we can see just from those three scriptures, from the Old Testament, from one of the prophets, 
I mean, from the Old Testament book of Genesis, from the Old Testament prophet Joel, and then from the Gospel of Mark, we can see how God has always chosen to relate to us as three persons, and that each person is equally important and equally divine. That means that, that one can't exist without the other. That means that, that the things that, that you and I assume and believe about God can't be, um, it, it wouldn't be the same if we didn't believe in the Trinity. Because in the Apostles' Creed, the Holy Spirit receives the exact same importance as God the Father and God the Son. Because we say, I believe in God the Father. We say, where is it? Oh, um, I believe in Jesus Christ, His Son. And then we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So the Trinity gives us a framework of what we believe and of who we are as Christians. And every time we affirm this, when we recite the Apostles' Creed, when we say the Nicene Creed, some of the other creeds or affirmations aren't as solid in terms of the Trinity, in terms of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But when we recite the Apostles' Creed, we're saying what we believe and we're connecting ourselves to Christians for, for thousands of years. Because the Holy Spirit's important. And as I've thought about the Holy Spirit, one of the things that, that I read this past week is that it reconciles us to two other twin truths about God. See, the Holy Spirit provides um, um, the connection. And so those twin truths are, are things that I think all of us can see and are, and are easily believable. The, the first is that, that when we talk about God the Father, God being Almighty, when we think of God being Almighty, we think of God being high and holy and unapproachable, don't we? And then there's this other truth when we talk about Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is different in how he came, isn't he? Because he came and he had a humility of heart and he had a holiness. And he demonstrated a different way of interacting and living. And so the Holy Spirit helps to reconcile those two truths and to bring them together for us. So if you look, and, and a quick uh, reminder of, of the majesty of God, if you read in the book of Exodus, we've just been reading the book of Exodus as, as part of our devotional, and um, the first example of, of one of the high holy pictures of God comes from, from the book of Exodus, where Moses meets, meets God on Mount Sinai. God says, come up to the mountain and, and I will talk to you. And so Moses has gone up, he's received the Ten Commandments, but what does God tell Moses? He tells Moses, don't allow the people to approach the mountain, to approach the base of Mount Sinai while I am on it with you, or they'll be struck dead. God even goes further than that and, and says, you are not even to allow the flocks of your sheep and goats and cattle and you know, your herds of cattle and everything else to even graze upon the slopes or the edges of this mountain while God is on it because God's glory would kill them. In Exodus 33, Moses is talking to God and, and he's led the people and God is saying in Exodus 33 that, Moses, it's time for me to lead you into the land that I've promised you. And Moses says, well, how are the people going to believe what I'm saying? Because it's just me, I'm not important. How are they going to believe that, that what you're saying or the words that I'm forming are, my, are your words and not mine? And God says, well, I'm going to put the words in your mouth. And then Moses says, let me see your glory. I remember earlier in the book of Exodus what his, his God said. He said, if anyone sees my glory, they will be struck dead because it is too much for you. 
Moses is asking God, who is the God of Israel, who's parted the waters, who's sent the plagues, who's done all of these things, brought down manna from heaven, sent quail from the sky, done uh, the water from the rock, everything. Moses is saying, let me see your glory. And so God says, my glory is too much for you. Because anyone who sees my face will be struck dead. But God says, but I'll let you see my back. And so he places Moses in a rock, in a cleft in the rock. And if you'll remember from the scripture, God walks by, and as he walks by, he places his hand over that cleft, protecting Moses so that he does not inadvertently or accidentally see the glory of God's face. And then as God walks away, he removes his hand, and Moses is able to see him walking away. The Holy Spirit helps us to reconcile that picture of a a God who is so holy that anyone who sees Him will be struck dead with God who is Jesus the Son who came, who modeled us humility, who modeled us a life of holiness, who showed us as the Son of what it meant to live and serve and care for others and sacrifice oneself and offer oneself and do all the things that you and I read about in the Gospels. This picture is, is Jesus you know, washing the feet and there's Peter saying, no, Lord, wash my hands and, and head as well. And what does Jesus say? He says, no, just your feet. Your feet are the only thing that are dirty. The Gospels are full of these stories. Of Jesus who was born, who lived fully as a woman. Of Jesus who experienced temptation, who experienced hurt and pain and and every other emotion that you and I experience. Jesus who, who humbled himself not to die a victor's death, but Jesus who humbled himself and died the death of a criminal on a cross. How do we reconcile God who is so almighty that you cannot even look at him or you will be struck dead with God who is Jesus the Christ, who died on a cross in the most basic and humiliating of ways. Friends, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that helps us to reconcile those two truths about God as a Father who reigns in in ultimate majesty and as God who is the Son who dies in the, the lowest place and suffers on the cross. On their own, are not majesty and and suffering complete opposites? And see, without the Holy Spirit, they'd each be on their own pedestal and they wouldn't be connected. They couldn't be reconciled without the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is what brings them together. And there are probably theologians that, well, thankfully they're not listening to this. Um, I, I think they're like a bridge that the Holy Spirit bridges between Father and Son. That they connect the majesty of God with the lowliness and the humility humility that we see in Jesus. This doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is less. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is like the little brother in this relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that, that the Holy Spirit is a minor player. What it means is that by her, it, its function, his function, her function, whatever it is that you give the Holy Spirit, it means that it enables us to understand and to relate to both God the Father and God the Son. It means that the Holy Spirit enables us to understand and, and to relate. And, and so there's confusion in the church because we've given the Holy Spirit so many different names. And some of them are on the screen. So how do we reconcile a Holy Spirit that that we use this language to describe? Beautiful and gentle as a dove, revealing and warm as light. Those are pretty consistent, aren't they? 
But then you have over here, awesome and overpowering as a storm, energizing and stirring like wind, intense and all-consuming in fire. And then we get back over here and it's quiet and soft as breath. Are those not polar opposites in how we use to describe the Holy Spirit? I mean, if someone was describing one of my children as beautiful and gentle and then saying awesome and overpowering, I might wonder what they were talking about, right? Because there are so many images for us to talk about the Holy Spirit, for us to describe it. But the thing is, is their vast range makes it hard for us to hold it together. Especially when we look at, at quiet and soft and overpowering and, and loud. And so what does it mean for us to confess one faith when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, when we recite the Apostles' Creed? Here's what I think we acknowledge. I think whenever we recite these words and whenever we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, we acknowledge the Spirit's ability to enter our lives with God's authority. We acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is God's authoritative presence and that when the Spirit is with us, God's presence is in our midst. One mistake in the Christian church is for us to believe the work of God stopped in the book of John 21, Matthew 28, Mark 16, and Luke 24. If any of those chapters sound familiar, it's, they're the last chapter in every gospel. They're the last chapter that tells us about the resurrection of Jesus and then the things that he did after his resurrection. If there's a mistake in the church, it's for us to believe that the work of God finished in those four chapters in each, in, in each gospel at the end, right? But see, the Holy Spirit reminds us. And it shows us that God chooses and continues to seek to be in ministry and in relationship with us even after the ascension of Jesus. In John 16, which is our scripture this morning, Jesus tells the disciples what? He says, I must go away. So what is he telling them? First, he's telling them it's part of God's plan. It's part of God's purpose in sending him as Jesus the Son. It's, it's all part of what needed to happen for him to come. But then he's saying that I have to go in order for God to be at work in a different way in your lives and in the lives of the community of faith. And so Jesus is saying that, that the Holy Spirit can't be sent while he's there. That he must go away and he must ascend into heaven in order for God to grant us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And see, so Jesus is setting it up because he wants the disciples to see. He wants the people that, that are listening to him to see and to realize that his ascending into heaven, it's not a bad thing, is it? It was a good thing. Because it's only by Jesus choosing to ascend into heaven that God's plan was able to continue and to go into effect for us to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit after the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. This means that, that it was not in God's plan to send, Jesus's, uh, to send Jesus and for him to exercise authority and then leave the world. It's in God's plan that, that God was going to send the Holy Spirit that gives us full authority to act and to be the church and to be the continuation of Jesus' ministry in the world today. That's an awesome challenge, and thank God that we're not alone for that. 
Thank God that, that He hasn't commissioned us to, to go forth and carry the gospel of Jesus Christ out into the world on our own. But what has He chosen to give us? He has said, I will send my Holy Spirit to you. In the book of Acts chapter 2, we read how the Holy Spirit was sent on the disciples in that house in Jerusalem and how they were praying and talking and all of a sudden tongues descended upon their heads like fire and they were all speaking in different languages. And the crazy thing is everyone who was in no way related to what was happening, who in no way knew what was going on, they walked outside the house and they were able to see, hear and, and understand people speaking in their own tongues. Because God has given us the Holy Spirit so that we can do His work. In Acts 2, so that we can, can have effective service and witness. If you read in Romans chapter 8, the, the Spirit's job in terms of being a spirit of intercession that intercedes with us and within us, that teaches us how to pray. And when we don't have the words to pray, Paul writes in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit is what crafts the words and presents them to God when he knows that we are in a place where we are unable to even craft the words for ourselves. In our scripture this morning in John 16, Jesus says what the Spirit is going to do. That it's going to teach, it's going to instruct, it's going to admonish as we read the Scriptures. Isn't this Jesus Himself saying that the Spirit is going to open our eyes, open our hearts, and open our minds to be changed by the very Word of God? And then in Acts 13, we read Luke's words where the Spirit gives us direction and can provide us guidance in our lives. See, in a nutshell, these verses teach us that, that the Holy Spirit can teach and guide and reprove and speak and testify and comfort and grieve and renew us to repentance. Meaning the Holy Spirit does what we're unable to do. Whether that's putting to words our prayers that we ourselves cannot craft. Whether it means that the Holy Spirit guides our heart into loving the right things. Because we live in a world that tells us to focus on the wrong things, don't we? We live in a world that tells us to focus on those things that don't give us life, that, that don't grant us hope, that, that don't fulfill us, that don't meet our needs. And the Holy Spirit is what comes to us and says, focus on these things. Because the Holy Spirit helps us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Who Paul writes is the author and perfecter of our faith as we grow and as we build a relationship with God who is our King. Here's the amazing part about the Spirit. The Spirit's at work in your life before your eyes were ever opened to it. The Spirit has been at work in your life before you ever acknowledged its presence. And it was the Spirit who worked in your heart and knocked on the door of your heart so that you could experience God's grace before ever experiencing Jesus Christ. Friends, the Spirit is God who is at work, enabling in us and equipping us to be the church. And it's our job to be, respected, to be um, receptive to the Spirit's urging, to the Spirit's prodding, and to the way that the Spirit opens doors before us that we never would have expected to be opened. Because the Spirit works, and it's all for God's glory. Amen.